Welcome back to Trapani's Choice, your host, Nick Trapani. I've got a very special six weeks ahead of us. I'm going to be each week picking apart a comedian that has influenced me so much and basically made me the comedian that I am today and also steered me in the direction of comedy. And this is going right back to when I was in probably year seven. This very first comedian that I'm going to do this week is probably the first ever stand-up special that I'd ever seen. I'd seen little snippets of comedy here and there, but nothing like this in my life. It's Eddie Murphy, hence why I'm wearing the red shirt. Couldn't get my hands on a red leather jacket, and I don't think I could quite pull it off just as much as he did. But I basically want to start off, I think I might have been in year seven, so I would have been 12 years old, maybe 11, and I put it on for the first time, Eddie Murphy Delirious. No idea what I was in for. And I don't know if you guys remember, actually, fuck it, pull it up, Mahale. Show them the video of when he walks out. And get some rules. I got some rules when I throw down. When I do my stand-up, I got rules and shit. Straight up. Faggots aren't allowed to look at my ass while I'm on stage. That's, that's why I keep moving while I'm up here. So if you don't know where the faggot section is, you got to keep moving. So if they do see it, it's quick and you switch it. They don't get no long stare at your shit. Start having imagination flowing on my, about my... I know what you're looking at too because my ass get hot. I'm afraid of gay people. Petrified. I have nightmares about gay people. I have this nightmare that I go to Hollywood and find out that Mr. T is a faggot. <laughs> really, and he be walking up to people going, Hey boy. Hey boy. You look mighty cute in them jeans. <laughs> now come on over here and fuck me up the ass. I'm gonna bend over now. Mm. Ah. Hey, boy, slow down. You're gonna mess around and come too fast. Maybe you get mad, I'll clench up my butt cheeks and rip your dick off. You know, you know, you know who'd be a funny faggot? Ralph Cramden and Ed Norton. Wouldn't they be funny faggots? If Ralph Cramden leaned out the window day, one day and said, Norton! Norton Powell, come on down, I want to show you something. Ha <laughs> ha! Hey there, Alfie boy, what do you say there, pal of mine? You know, Norton, I've been watching you. And I know you've been watching me, Norton. You watch me. I know. So, uh, Ralph, where are you getting at? Norton, my friend, how would you like to fuck me up the ass? Fuck me, Norton. And you know that I know that you know that I know that you want to fuck me. Now I'm going to bend over. And when I do, start fucking. Here I go. Hamana, 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 hamana. Way to go there, Ralphie boy! I kid the homosexuals a lot because they're homosexuals. I don't, 
I fuck with everybody. I don't give a fuck. It's like, um, I don't mean anything by it. You can hang out with a gay person. You can, guys, don't feel, you know, like, alienate gay people because they're gay, because you can play tennis with a gay person. Really, just after the game, you say, I'm gonna get a beer, what you gonna do? Think I'll go suck somebody's dick. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> you gonna suck that dick, I'm gonna have the beer. Ladies are hip to it, too. Ladies be hanging out with gay people. Ladies be saying, gay men are the best friends to have. Because they don't want anything from you, you don't want anything from them. You can just hang out and you can be with them, it's fun. You can talk to them and all that bullshit and they be hanging out with them. You know what's real scary about that? That new AIDS shit. AIDS is scary because it kills motherfuckers, AIDS. That ain't like the good old days when venereal disease was simple. In the good old days, you get gonorrhea, your dick hurt, go get a shot, clear it right up. Then they came out with herpes, you keep that shit forever like luggage. Now they got AIDS, that just kills motherfuckers. I say, what's next? I guess you just put your dick in and explode. <laughs> and the girl be on the bed going, maybe I should see a doctor about it. Kills people. It petrifies me because girls be hanging out with them. And one night they could be in the club having fun with their gay friend and give him a little kiss and go home with their AIDS on their lips. <laughs> get home with their husband and like five years later, Mr. Johnson, you have AIDS. He goes, AIDS? But I'm not a homosexual. Sure, you're not a homosexual. Now you can imagine as an impressionable 12-year-old, you see this guy who's basically getting into the limo with his, his entourage. He's getting there. He's getting dressed. He's getting ready. He's having a laugh. And I'm thinking... This is a job. This is someone's job. You know, I want this. And then to see him walk out on stage in that red leather suit, just looking like a fucking boss. And the minute he opened his mouth, I was in awe. I couldn't believe, A, that you could talk like that, or B, that this sort of thing existed. And finally, there's someone that thinks the way that I thought. You know, uh, the music that I was influenced by at that stage was all about like, you know, saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things. And here's this guy on stage and his first joke is something that you like even the first sentence you couldn't say, you know, like this guy basically just changed comedy in my eyes. You know, the first joke, obviously opening there about faggots looking at his ass. Now, you couldn't even say that word. Uh, well, you, it depends. Look, if you if you um, if you want to go down that path and do that, by all means, you can say it. But uh, there's a there's a risk involved in doing things like that. And this man not only pushes the boundaries, but he's a genius in the way that he does it. And you know, I sort of thought to myself, I just, you know, I could see myself one day as an adult walking out to an arena like that. And also the crowd got me as well. You saw in that video of when they panned through the arena and the standing ovation. And I thought to myself, and I was a very shy kid. I was very shy. A lot of you won't believe it. But when I was in high school, I was um, mainly the very early years, I was very sort of timid. I sort of had to force my way into becoming the person that I was due to circumstances, um, 
you know, my brother was getting bullied at a young age. Uh, I had to step in. He was two years above me. So it forced me to come out of my shell. But I wasn't always as confident as what I was. You know, I basically went in, just bullet a gate at things. And that, that made me who I am. But I, I remember being so shy that I didn't even want to talk in class. And then seeing this guy do this live in front of an audience like that, I thought I, my voice, I wouldn't be able to talk if that happened to me. But you know what? He got up there and he just killed. Every joke was fucking amazing. I couldn't believe it, you know, and I just thought, how does he even deliver with this timing that's so amazing, yet do it in front of all those people? And this is really the first time that I thought to myself, I'm going to do this when I'm older. And that's my goal. And that's my dream ever since. Now, it did get pushed aside for a little while. Uh, you know, obviously I went into other careers. There's different things in life that take over. But always in the back of my head was this Eddie Murphy delirious and uh, how he did it and how I would want to aspire to be just like him. And push the boundaries. Like if anyone have ever seen any of my stand-up, I love controversial jokes. I love shock value. I love saying the wrong things. Now, this is really where it stemmed from because he's opener and I love that. Uh, there's other comedians that I'll go through their openers. Imagine if you don't do stand-up and you walk out on stage in front of a crowd and the first thing you say is offensive and everyone applauds, everyone laughs. That's when you know you've made it. Because when you try stuff like this at open mic nights, you basically get booed. <laughs> so the fact that he had the confidence to do this and and still kill is amazing. I want to bring up another clip for you guys. And it's not so much the joke as such. It's more the response it got. Anyway, pull it up, Mahal. I want the mother's shoe. I had a mother that would throw a shoe at you at the drop of a dime and fuck you up wherever she was aiming. Was bad with her shoe. She would like carry that shit like a gun. By the time I was like 10, my mother would like Clint Eastwood with a shoe. And you fuck up, my mother walk in the room was like. Why'd you eat the ice cream off the floor? I didn't know I was going to. You be in a supermarket and shit and be grabbing cereal off the counter going, Ma, can we get this? She'll say, Ch -ch -ch <laughs> I guess not. And can be doing three different things. Be on the phone with my grandmother and be cooking with this hand, have the phone like this and be saying, yeah, Mama, hold on a second. Ch -ch <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Fuck you up. And God forbid my mother be dressed up and have them high heel Jimsons on, them pumps, because then she get boomerang action going on your ass and fuck you up in the room, you won't even know what the fuck happened. They can hear you when they're getting ready to walk out the door, they hear you on the bunk beds fucking around, they got that mother here and they hear that shit. They say, wait a minute, baby. Let's go. The reason why I wanted to bring up this clip was that not only was it a really funny joke about his mum pulling off her shoe and throwing it, 
But the impact that this had on my classmates at school was that everyone was walking around the school doing this, you know, pulling the shoe off, throwing it, and catching it back again. This was a, it was an ongoing thing, and I thought, fuck, one day I just hope that I have a joke that people are reciting in the schoolyards, at work, all these things. And Eddie Murphy spoke, uh, you know, later on in, in Delirious, and he said, a lot of people fuck up my jokes. They can't say my jokes. So I'm going to give you a joke that you can all say at work. And I'm going to do it no justice here, but it was something along the lines of a bear and a rabbit in the woods. And the bear looks down to the rabbit and says, do you mind getting shit on your fur? And the rabbit says no. And the bear picks him up and wipes his ass with it. And that's a joke that you can tell with all your friends. And, and I thought to myself, I remember watching it going, no, nah, I think I can tell you jokes. You know, maybe not as well. I don't think I can do it as well at that stage. And obviously, as a kid, you know, you, you sort of don't know your limits and your boundaries and you're working all them out. But I, I remember thinking, no, I can do this. I see myself on stage doing this. And um, it was really then that, you know, I sort of thought to myself, well, a lot of people can't tell these jokes. A lot of people can't do this. People would really struggle to basically get up there and tell jokes for an hour. And for me, it sounded like, something that was doable, it was feasible. And it was really that point that was pivotal for me to be able to do something like this. So really just that line of him saying, people can't tell my jokes. Here's one that you guys can tell at work. Bang, that's what did it. And that was that spot. And that's why it's so special for me to have Eddie Murphy as number one on my list because this is where it really began as a 12-year-old boy in a schoolyard and telling the jokes over with my mates at school, it was there was nothing like it, you know. And laughing with others, then watching it with other people. I think I've watched this maybe 50,000 times with so many different people, and it gets me every time. It's still funny today. It's still relevant. You can't do these jokes now, and that's what's so special about it. And he does it, and they're still funny today. You know, it's just incredible. Now, another joke that I want to talk about is um, when he impersonates Michael Jackson. Mahal, get the clip up first. We'll show him and then I'll talk about it. That's all you got to do is sing. Michael Jackson, who can sing and is a good looking guy, but ain't the most masculine fellow in the world. <laughs> See, but that's, that's Michael's hooks, his sensitivity. That's what women be saying, Michael's just so sensitive. And they eat that shit up. Mike know, too. He be using women in concert. I seen Mike walk up to girls and stay being an audience. He say, is it all right if I come down there and sing to you? And the women go, ah! Then if you, if you don't scream, Mike will get real sensitive and cry on your ass. <laughs> if you hear that record, she's out of my life, Mike will go, so I've learned that love's not possession. And I've learned love one way. I've love needs expression, but I learned to
Tito, get me some tissue. <laughs> Jermaine, stop teasing. <laughs> you just sing. The reason why I wanted to talk about this clip now, the joke itself is not a joke that, you know, it's not shock value as much. Uh, but what it really is, is it's showing off his talent. And not only could he tell jokes, I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, not only can this man tell jokes, but he can really sing as well. He's a, Look, we know he's amazing at impersonations, but the way that he does this, and it's showing another skill in with his comedy that he can just, that he's perfected to get it to sound like that, and it's just amazing. And the amount of times he would have practiced that and done it over and over and over again to get it right. And that's what I love about comedy because... A lot of the times you see comedians standing up on stage and all you see is the delivery of the joke. You don't realize how hard it is sometimes for us to, to perfect it to that point that it's like that. And this, like just showing that skill of him singing the way that he was and, uh, you know, all for it to just be a joke at the end is incredible. It actually sounds like Michael Jackson. Um, maybe a little bit accentuated with him being a bit of a sissy, but nevertheless... It's a fucking funny joke. Now, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. I'm going to leave you with one more clip. And I'm going to let Mahal choose this one. But I want to I want to just end it on something that's just, you know, just so you guys know that this is a very special, special for me. And I love every minute of it. There's not a minute that doesn't make me laugh. And I hope you guys actually go away from this and sit down and watch this one. If you guys have seen it in the past, sit down and watch it again because it's fucking hilarious. And the amount of times he swears in this as well is incredible. There's times in his specials that he swore close to 500 times. And a lot of people today would sort of turn off from that. I've been to gigs where after the first maybe 10, 15 minutes, if there's too much swearing in it, people get up and leave. And I know comedians sometimes talk about that there's um, there's a limit, right? Because you, you need to be pushing boundaries for things to be funny because you're talking about ethical things uh, and using swearing and different language to basically get that. So I know there's times where not everyone's boundaries are there and they I've heard a comedian say that sometimes he likes people to leave because then he knows he's touching on that limit. He knows that he's pushing the boundaries to a point where it's affecting that person. Maybe they won't like it, but the rest of the crowd will. And as you can see in this, it's just fucking amazing. Let's let Mahal bring up this last video. <laughs> Wasn't that bad at all. It's, I'm winded. I'm out of breath. I'm sweating and shit. Y'all, they know I was a ventriloquist too. And that just goes to show at the wit, how quick. So not only is the show perfected, and we've seen him on other shows and other things before that, but it's at moments like that that it's a glimpse of actually how clever and how quick he is. 
that someone yells something from the crowd and he responds so quickly back with something like that that's hilarious that once again brings the house down and it was just a it was a heckle it was and you know a response to a heckle it wasn't a bad heckle it was a positive heckle but it was still someone yelling something out and he responded with that so quickly i just love it and i aspire to be able to do that in the future it's very easy to do that sort of thing when you're around close friends you're sitting around having a drink but to be able to do that in front of you know, 10,000, 20,000 people to be that quick and that switched on and that relaxed in yourself that you can still be thinking that clearly. Because a lot of the time you are going over your routine. You are thinking about the joke that you're telling and how the crowd are responding to it. You're also then going, well, if they like this one, I've now got this one next. I've got that one next. You have a basic order, but nothing's as structured as you think it is. There are a lot of the times you've got an hour's worth of material in this circumstance and you kind of know where the jokes go and some feed into others like tissue as Jerry Seinfeld explains that it's like tissue and one one joke has to feed into the other and you know you you can segue into another joke by that joke but um, you know to show how well this is put together in an hour of just absolute incredible humor He's just one of my favorite comedians. I did hear a rumor that uh, he would be putting together another special like this now. And I just think to myself, if that would be the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You know, and I'm sure he could pull it off. If anyone was going to pull off backing that up now, years and years later, because look, Raw was also amazing. That was another another amazing special. I chose this one because it was really, you know, the first special that I'd seen. So, you know, that's why I really wanted to talk about this rather than Raw. A lot of people think that Raw is funnier than Delirious. I just think he can do it again. And I hope he does. I really do. Then I can basically, that's one off my bucket list is watching that. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. I just want to let you guys know that I, I'm just thoroughly enjoying this. I'm not going to let the lockdown hold me back. So I want to keep bringing you guys content and i think this is a really fun way to do it so watch over delirious guys even get on there check out uh short clips of him and remember to uh subscribe to my youtube channel at trapani's choice and you can also find extra content at my uh instagram page uh trapani's choice we're going to be putting a lot of unplugged stuff on there some behind the scenes things so check that out too guys it's going to be great i'm also on soundcloud and apple podcasts so it's easy, guys. Come on, check it out.